It is lovely to be here, the extraordinary privilege you've given me. And it's delightful to know that the church is in good hands for the next lap of history. Rivergate, of course, was the name, came from the whole idea of opening the gates and allowing the Spirit of God to, to flow out into the dry places amongst the hurt, the least, the last, the suffering. And it is good to see that that passion is still there. I think you've heard quite enough of history and certainly quite enough of me. I, forgive me for sitting down. I've got a little small battle with cancer at the moment. Uh, and so energy is a, a bit of a premium. But it's my privilege to speak with you about you and your mission. Christianity has not always fared well in the hands of humanity, has it? <laughs> Britain and Europe institutionalized Christianity to bolster the power base of the monarchy. Uh, America commercialized Christianity to bolster the bottom line. Right wing have tried to recruit Christianity uh, to their cause. God wants us to have guns. Left wing has tried to expunge God from society uh, as an impediment to their neo-Marxist social engineering agenda. And somehow both have missed the transformative power of the gospel. The message, sadly, is fading from the Western world. And I'm just a bit grumpy about that, just quietly, because it's happening on our watch. The curtain is coming down on civil debate. Some strident voices are insisting that theirs is the only voice that should be heard. And some of us with a memory of history will recognize this sort of language as a precursor to totalitarianism. So we need to be vigilant and watch out and call out uncivil language, both from ourselves and from today's opinion leaders, be they from the right or the left. But dare I and dare you, the Old Testament prophet Amos spoke of a time when the prudent were forced to keep quiet because, quote, the times are evil. Isn't it extraordinary that we have to worry about such things these days? Keeping your voice quiet because the times are evil. So this is our time, our time in history, dear friends. We make the baton that will be passed on to the next generation. So how are you going with that? Christianity has been discredited by disunity and the abuses that have occurred within its fallible church institutions. And that is heartbreaking. But on the positive side, Christianity has always, always, always done well in the hearts of individuals, families, and amongst groups of locally connected friends and family, such as yourselves. It's, the gospel has transformed you, it's given you hope, given you purpose, and it has made you a little bit more like Jesus. 
So Christianity has always done well when it has been persecuted. Always done well. It's refined the church and I think that's the process that the church in the West is going through at the moment. But the chilly winds of persecution are beginning to be felt in the Western church. And I can foresee a time when the church will become more like the first century church. What do you think of that? More Christians will meet in homes. Christian leaders will move between them, encouraging local elders and believers. And personally, I, I find that quite exciting. Some things, of course, will not change and must not change. We are followers of Jesus' way. That was the first title of Jesus' disciples, followers of Jesus' way. And we, his disciples, uh, are those who seek to learn from Jesus and make it our life's aim to be like him. At the start of John's biography of Jesus, Jesus is described as a man full of truth and grace. John chapter 1 verse 8. Those words have always struck deep into my heart. For we are called to be like him, full of truth and grace. And grace, of course, refers to our love, our unity and our acts of generosity. Particularly towards those in need. And truth refers to the gospel message you share with your family and friends. And that's your ministry. And if I was wise, I'd shut up at this point. Tom Holland is an agnostic and a writer. And his recent book, Dominion, I don't know whether you've read it, tells the story of Western civilization. And he makes the point that civilizations were cruel, brutal, and had an ethic based on dominance and repression, which lauded the exploitation of the weak. Even their gods were cruel. The Greek gods came down and raped women. And this philosophy of dominance gained a facelift with the anti-Christian influence of the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. And of course Hitler used Nietzsche's philosophy to underpin the Nazi ideal. But Tom Holland makes the compelling case that Christianity civilized the Western world by introducing con concepts of fairness, justice, self-sacrifice, respect for women. In the medieval age, when everything else was in darkness, Christianity provided the hospitals, the schools, and respect for a God to whom people were accountable. But now the West is letting its heritage slip through its fingers, Christian heritage, and the darkening clouds of sexual confusion, totalitarian tendencies, and the glorification of hedonism are making their appearance. But here's the thing, gang. 
Things were not so different in Jesus' time. <laughs> so it's worth noting what Jesus did when the cl social climate was like this. And essentially he did three things. Here we are. The first was that he withdrew often to check that he was in sync with his father's agenda. Luke chapter 5 records, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So there you are, my dear friends. Clue number one. Spend time with your Heavenly Father. Be in sync with his purpose. I just love the start of the Lord's Prayer because the whole start of the Lord's Prayer is, for goodness sake, Nick, get your agenda off yourself and focus in on your Heavenly Father's agenda. Be in sync with what he's doing. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Secondly, he invested in the next generation. We read, Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. <laughs> and I love the bit in Matthew chapter 5 where, where the crowd are coming to, <laughs> to mob Jesus, and Jesus says, boys, let's get out of here. Shin up the mountain. And uh, we read there, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So the second thing Jesus did was to invest in the next generation. And the third thing, of course, Jesus did was to engage in mission. Luke 4.43 says this, But Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that was why I was sent. So there you are. Three things. Be in sync with the Father because you spent time with him. Invest in the next generation and engage in ministry. Jesus was sent and uh, he was sent because he is for us, not against us. And so we need to bring grace and truth to our ministries. Which brings us to our passage, which took a long time to get to. It begins by saying, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ. This is, this is Paul speaking. I just love that. He must have had fabulous frequent flyer points. Travelled extraordinarily. And of course, the Apostle Paul was an apostle. And that comes from the um, Greek word apostolos, which means the sent one. And although being an apostle is a specialised ministry, it's essentially a witness of Jesus Christ who goes out and plants churches. You could argue about that, but that's essentially what it is. You, you must have had... Uh, been in, in, in close contact and understanding of who Jesus was, and then you are sent out, apostolos, the sent ones. But there's a sense in which all of us, dear ones, yes, you, have been called to do the same. The, the Bible calls you hagios, which has got nothing to do with the strange things that Scottish people eat and everything to do with you being 
set apart for holy use, because that's what saints means, the Greek word hagios, saints, which is you. You're set apart for holy use. Two matters constitute the heartbeat of the gospel, inflow and outflow. Take Christ in and show Christ by giving him to others. As Jesus says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. It's worth reflecting, isn't it? Just quietly. What comes out of my mouth? I am a frustrated apologist. An apologist is someone who <laughs> makes the case for God. And I do that on any forum that I can get myself onto. I'm like a shark in muddy water looking for opportunities <laughs> to preach the gospel. <laughs> and, but I can't do that unless I have been filled, first filled with the knowledge of God. And, and by his grace and his word, he just pours this beautiful truth in, into my heart. And, and that is, is, is what I seek to flow out to others. So it's all about Christ living in you, because if people see the beauty of Christ in you, and they hear the truth, you will be very, very powerful at this time in history. As I said, I may have said earlier in Acts 1.8, Jesus tells his disciples, you shall be my witnesses. And, and this is a mandate to change the status quo of those who are around you. It is a mandate to change their history. It is a mandate to cooperate with God's Holy Spirit in building the kingdom of God by adding people to it. It's an invitation to fulfill the purpose of God that God has reserved for you since before time began. This is your moment in history, my dear friends. So be a history maker. Leave the God footprint on planet Earth that God intended you to leave. Finish the ministry God has in mind that is yours alone to fulfill. But of course, if you do, are to do this, you, You've got to answer the question, why on earth am I here? Why are you here at this particular point in history? I'm not sure that I would have chosen me for this particular point in history. I don't know about you. <laughs> why are we here at this particular point in history as opposed to another? And the answer, of course, is to fulfill an idea that God had. So it's God's idea that you're here. So take your existence at this particular point in history very seriously. God has an idea about it. You are the answer to the spoken and the unspoken prayers of those around you. That is your mission. 
we ministers and pastors can't do your ministry. We haven't got your friends, your family and your contacts. We can't do that. That is your ministry. Every member of this church has to be ready for mission. Every Christian on the planet is called to change people's eternal destiny by giving out the Christ whom they have invited in. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Oh, but I'm not qualified enough. I haven't done enough degrees. It's been said that the church is dying by degrees. <laughs> church is dying by degrees. I would much rather have a Holy Spirit empowered person in, passionately in love with Jesus on mission with me than anyone else. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So let's return to our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In verse 12 it goes on to say, the Apostle Paul speaks of preaching the gospel of Christ. Verse 12. We have no mandate at all, no right to preach any other gospel than the gospel of Christ. I'm very angry with the liberal revisionists, the deists who have come into the church pretending to be Christians, denying the gospel. John Spong has just died. He was one of those. Now knows a lot more about Jesus, I suspect. Responsible for the fastest dying diocese, church diocese in America. Because his mournful philosophy offered no hope, transformation, no truth. Just the ideas of men. We have no right. I have no right to share with you my opinions. Extraordinarily dull. but I have been called by God to preach the gospel. And that transforms life like nothing else. I've had the joy of being in the back streets of Hong Kong amongst heroin addicts and triad gang members and seen them transformed. One of my best friends at the church I currently attend used to be a bikey and has spent a large part of his life in jail He's one of the most fabulous people I've ever met. That's the difference Christ makes. That's the difference the gospel makes. So, we are sent. And we are sent with the gospel of Christ, nothing else. It goes on to say in verse 12 there that the Lord has opened a door. Uh, my heart goes out to Montaz and Naomi and the leadership team as they seek to plot a path for this church in these extraordinary times in history. 
but they will be looking for the open door. You will be looking for the open door in your ministry to your friends and family. The Lord has opened the door, says Paul. And you may also remember that Jesus once instructed his disciples to look for the person of peace. That is the person in the community who will help facilitate your ministry. Are they the principal of a school which provides you a place for worship? <laughs> what is the ministry? Look for the person who will unlock the future that you want, who are the gate openers. The Lord has opened the door. And of course, opportunity itself is not the only good thing that, that guides us, is it? I mean, <laughs> I've been in, in also had the opportunity to do extraordinary things, which I've known is just not right. Um, so you've got to check that it matches biblical principles, that it's in line with what wise and spiritually mature friends say, and that it is something that is for God's glory and not your own. That's one that you can trip up on pretty easily, isn't it? Then the Apostle Paul goes on to speak of us being in a triumphal procession, verse 14, if you're following it. That's pretty good, isn't it? Because it just reminds you that you're on the side that wins. And I like being on the winning side, just quietly. Wallabies won by two points. Yo. Last night. And it's good to know that because you're going to go through times of suffering, testing. My darling Mary, my wife, is <laughs> narrowly escaped death because of her aorta was closing up because of an immune response from her own body. And that's, the, and that's just this week. <laughs> so it's been an emotionally interesting week. Very testing. But to stop us from being too triumphalistic about being in the triumphal victory procession, just remember the other procession that Paul spoke about to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And he's, at this st stage, he's reflecting on the very harsh lot of, of apostles. And he, seems, and he says, look, it seems to me that we are in the victory parade, not as victors, but as the captives at the end of the procession who are being marched into the arena, about to be put to death in a public spectacle. It seems that everything all the bile and vitriol of hell has been thrown against Christians. But nonetheless, remember that you will, in the end, be in the triumphal procession. And it's always good to be able to see history from the perspective of its conclusion, because then you can stay strong. Paul goes on to say, And God through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. So we carry the character, the culture, the characteristics of Jesus when we go. And interesting, we are the aroma of Christ to two lots of people. Or, 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 two. One of them is God. So isn't it lovely? When God looks at you, he's, he's oh, that's the aroma of Jesus that you've got there. And he smiles. So we are to God the aroma of Christ. 
But of course we are to others the aroma of Christ as well. But rather interestingly, if you have a look at that passage, it says that we are the aroma of Christ that brings life to some. Do you see that there? Because that's, those are the words of truth. You are not a meaningless accident. You are not something that came from nothing, as a result of nothing, by a mechanism that has never been discovered, for which there is no precedent which undermines the laws of cause and effect, which underpin all of science. No. You are not just a chance collection of molecules that have come from nowhere. God had an idea about you. And a big hint about the order and purpose of God is seen in the order of the cosmos, which is quite extraordinary. little digression because you'd be upset if I didn't because I was a research scientist. There are four forces that build the universe. Two of them are the electromagnetic force and the gravitational force. If the relative strengths of those two forces had differed by as much as one ten thousand trillion, trillion, trillionth, you would not have life on planet Earth. Now, I think that that deserves more than a lazy shrug of the shoulders. We represent the fragrance of Christ to others. And then he goes on to say, <laughs> in verse 16, ah, And who can be equal to this task? Come on, I'm just me! Only one thing. And that was the knowledge that God had sent him. Verse 17. And you are the sent ones. You are the hagios. You are the set apart for holy use. At this particular point in history, you were the answer to God's idea about this point in history. And then Paul does a little digression to church leaders. And he says, for goodness sake... Don't do your ministry for personal profit. Sadly, I've known some churches where they've taken the teaching of 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Do not muzzle the ox that is treading out the grain. Leaders of the church are worthy of dub, double honour. And they've turned it into a celebrity cult. Whatever else you call that. It is not Christ-like. So we won't do that at Living Word Church or Rivergate. So, dear friends, what do I say in conclusion? Our job is to point people to Jesus, to the cross, and beautifully and wonderfully to his resurrection. I have danced the tango with death. I do apologize for wearying you with news that I'm a... <laughs> Doctors tell me that I'm weeks from dying, and then they find a new chemical and they pour it into me and I come back to life again and write another book and they tell me I'm dying again and it's been going on for five years. Mary calls me the yo-yo man. <laughs> and I'm not going to waste a single minute of it. I'm going to be wanting to point people
to the hope that we have. The Apostle Paul says, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Just talking to some dear friends for the service about modern philosophy. It is a pitiless, mournful thing. I think it was dreamed up by most people to satisfy their own sexual addictions, if, if I'm really honest, from the 1950s onwards. Um, modern philosophy has really nothing to say. Um, but you have, you are God's answer to the needs of this particular point in history. So how did a man impaled on a cross outside the city walls on the town's rubbish dump transform Western civilization and bring hope to the whole world? Only God could do that. And he still wants to do it through you. So will you, my dear friends, will you allow yourselves to be sent Will you lift up Jesus in your family, in your workplace, and when you are amongst your friends? He alone has the power to transform. You are the secret agents God has sent into the world at this point in history to answer the needs of our time. It is God's way to use the least, the last, and those who have a humble and soft heart towards him to change history. Let me say that again. It is God's way to, to use the least, the last, and those who have a humble and soft heart towards him to change history. So he chooses you. I invite you to live out your mandate. God bless you. Let me pray for you briefly. Dear Father, we love the hope that you give us. We love the truth that nourishes us and and gives us joy and strength. We, we love the beauty of your character. We, we just say thank you for rescuing us from meaninglessness into meaning, purposelessness into purpose. Rescuing us from being a temporary collection of subatomic particles into being children of God. I ask, Father, that you pour out your Spirit on each one here and empower us to faithfully reflect your grace and your truth at this, our time in history. I pray, Father, that each one will be filled with power, with grace, with passion, 
and that you would bless each one with the ability and the opportunity to bring you glory so that we would have the joy of being fruitful in our ministry. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.